Hello and welcome to another episode of The Uncover Up. I'm one of your co-hosts, Lee Kunla, and I am here under protest with Nathan Radke in the debunking bunker. Yeah, the reason is we're doing an X-Files episode, which was your idea. Yeah, it was my idea. And then I let Nathan choose the episode, chose the episode and, and he I... chose the wrong one. I chose what is easily the best X-Files episode ever written. It is the most self-referential. It is a spoof of itself. And it's totally like, uh, for those X-Files fans out there, it's one of the X-Files episodes that is not the, it's a standalone one. It's not part of the big narrative arc. And this is, this is what I get for letting Nathan go rogue, really, with this topic. I thought I should have been in control here. Yeah, seriously. Lee bursts into my door and says, I've got a lot to say to you. That's true. I and had it just, all, I had the things to say to you written down. I don't have podcast notes. He just notes. went off on I have the rant. things. Yeah. He was so mad. I'm going to and say yet, some of those things on the episode, but apparently only at the end. That's where right. I'm allowed to say it. Well, we'll see what the editor thinks. <laughs> That's Nathan. We're doing finally an episode of what's probably the most important conspiracy-related TV show ever, which is, of course, The X-Files. The X-Files, yeah. And especially because I think of the time in which it comes out, this is having a cultural impact now. Right. Now, despite the fact that, and hold on to yourself, this is a 30-year-old show. I, it has aged kind of well. I was yep. re-watching a bunch of episodes. Now, some of it is really melodramatic. And I don't know if that is something that was just more part of 90s television shows. There's so many. I think it like, was in particular a part of 90s television shows with Canadian actors. Okay. And like a lot of close-ups mm-hmm. and a lot of hard swallows and furrowed brows and, and and welling up eyes that are just on the brink of tears. It is OTT. There is a lot of dialogue that is just facial expression, actually. And a lot of time is spent with the two main characters, Agents Dana Scully and Agents Fox Mulder, yeah. just saying their last names over and over again as they look for each other. Yes. There's, Mulder! Scully! There's Mulder! also a Scully! lot... Of them. Mother. Yes. It, well, Scully. thank you. Yes, I think we get the point. Thank you again, Nathan. But Mulder. all. Uh, <laughs> Mulder. 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 Also, a lot of them, especially Mulder. Mulder. Like going on about how he must find the truth. He's going to see a guy about the truth. It's about the truth. The truth has to get out there. I think that's got to be dropped like five times an episode. No government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. There's like a bunch of tropes that are always in. Now, I I do love the show. It's a great show. Yeah, I enjoy the show. It went on too long. There was too many episodes. It it confused itself a bit. But for the most part, if you took like the best 20 X-Files episodes, you'd be looking at a fantastic show. Oh, yeah. And if you took the very best X-Files episode ever, you'd be looking at this episode Jose Chung's From Outer Space. Jose Chung's From Outer Space is season three, episode 20. 20. It's not the best episode, but it is a good one for what we're going to talk about. It was written by Darren Morgan, who who wrote all of the best episodes. Okay. Uh, There was an episode where there is a psychic who can see how everyone is going to die. Okay. Also written by Darren Morgan. That was uh, with Peter Boyle. That was an excellent episode. Okay. And also Darren Morgan was an actor in The X-Files. Was he? Who did he play? Fluke Man. 
I don't remember Fluke Man. There was an episode where there was this monster, gross worm person living in the sewers. And the person who played that monster wrote this episode. Cool. Okay. Yeah. As you were saying, the X-Files basically was broken down into two different kinds of episodes. One, standalone, Monster of the Week. Right. And the other is a myth episode that would draw from a longer arc, a bigger story about government conspiracy this and aliens and human experimentation that. And that went on and kind of changed direction a bunch of times. Uh, Yeah. Now, I would say that that was the main narrative arc of the story. And maybe we should just clue listeners in because, as you say, it is a 30-year-old show. Many listeners of a podcast like The Uncover Up will be big fans of The X-Files. But for those of you who don't know the show, it's about two FBI agents who are working on a fringe kind of area of the FBI called The X-Files, where they are sent out to investigate anomalous phenomena, strange stuff that's happening, stuff that seems to be you know, paranormal or conspiracy related. And they go out. And as you say, then there's these standalone episodes where they go out and say, look for the Loch Ness Monster. Exactly. I was going to think of a cryptid. Exactly. And then there are ones where what they start to uncover is this ongoing conspiracy to hide alien, the existence of aliens. They've landed. The government has reverse engineered technology basically drawing from all of the stuff we've been talking about all through 2023 yeah and if if you want a actually a very succinct summary of the show david grush's testimony at the uap hearings in the summer is basically the main trajectory of the x-files yeah that's true now this episode shares a lot of the themes of those mythology episodes it's about government cover-ups it's about alien abductions all those things but in a much more meta manner. Oh, in a much it, more critical manner, I would say. It's very there's like about 20 easter eggs in the yeah, show. We'll go there, through those. There's a lot of hints for those in the know about authors or events or big pieces of UFO lore. This episode really rewards the flying saucer nerd. Yeah. Yeah. Because every name, every place is a reference to something and we will go through those. To make this simpler because this is very tricky narrative episode we're going to go through the plot but whenever we need to break away from the plot in the show to discuss something i'm going to make this noise and then when we come back to the episode we'll make this noise the show opens with a shot of a starry night sky what looks like the underside of a spaceship moves into the screen in an obvious reference to star wars yeah that's a really clever shot Because you're like, oh, well, it's the X-Files, it's aliens, Yep. but... But what at first looks like a spaceship is actually the bottom of a cherry picker basket, as what we're actually watching is a lineman working on a roadside power line pole. Yes. And this is, as you say, this is a great introduction to this episode's themes, because it's showing you, hey, things aren't what they appear, don't trust what you see, don't trust the filmmakers who are actively trying to trick you. Right. Don't trust anyone. Yeah. The truth is impossible. That's a lot of work to be done by like a three-second shot. Genius. Best best episode ever. And it's rewarded because it actually is the theme of the episode. Yeah. So throughout the episode, as we're going to see in a moment, that just keeps happening over and over. You think you know what's going on, and then it turns out it's actually something else. Yeah. And we're only like 20 seconds in, 
and the credits haven't even rolled yet. Best episode. We pan down to a car driving by. An old, like, 1960s car. And I think that is a reference to Betty and Barney Hill. Yeah, because what then happens is very Betty and Barney Hill-like. Yeah, and it doesn't take place in the 60s. Nope. There's no reason for them to be driving around in an old 1960s car. Well, I was thinking, actually, while I was watching it, outside of the, you know, the Easter egg kind of reference to Betty and Barney Hill, this is a cool car for these young kids to be driving. Oh, yeah. So they're driving along, a couple teenagers, Chrissy Giorgio and Harold Lamb. These are the character names or actor names? character names. Okay. The car stalls. A strange light fills the car. Yeah. The two teens start to panic. Yeah. Chrissy says, Harold, what is that thing? And Harold says, How the hell should I know? And then what is, even by 1990s Canadian TV standards, a pretty cheesy looking UFO hovers in front of them. Yeah. Making a UFO noise. Yeah. And I think that that cheesiness is deliberate. So two figures are silhouetted against the light and they walk towards the car becomes clear these are classic greys. That's right. With big heads and large black eyes. Yep. Now, at this point, the teens pass out, and one of the greys reaches into the car and, as you say, drags them out onto the road. Then, a less cheesy-looking triangular UFO appears in the sky beside the cheesy one. Right. And a stop-motion monster beams down onto the road and walks towards the greys. And one of the greys says, in a human English voice, Jack, what is that thing? And the other one replies, How the hell should I know? And it's another alien. I mean, from the perspective of you watching the show, you've got the humans confronted with the greys, yep. and then the greys, equally surprised, are confronted by this kind of Weird silly monster. stop motion, yeah, alien. And then we hit the credits. Yeah. And already I'm like, I'm fully committed to this episode. At that yeah. point, I'm like, great, I'm into it. Yeah. This incident that the show opens with, this is the classic abduction trope. Yeah, and it really is a Betty and Barney Hill narrative in that you have two people driving on, you know, an abandoned, lonely country road at night. They encounter something. It stalls their car. Everything goes dead. They experience, well, they, they kind of pass out and then they are, they have the abduction experience. Yeah. But she didn't describe the the classic gray that we understand them now. No. No, they were still... I mean, what I remember is that they were kind of human-looking. Yeah, just bigger eyes than usual. Yeah, and a bit Irish. Yes, that's right. Yeah, they were a bit Irish. I'm not so, like, red-headed. That's, I guess... They they don't tan easily. Yeah. Freckles, Uh, maybe? Yeah. Back to the show. We find ourselves in Mulder's FBI office, surrounded by posters of aliens and UFOs. And, and the famous poster, sorry. Yeah, of course. I want to believe. I want to believe. Yeah. Which is something we need to get back to at a future episode, because I think this is also a kind of, it's a very smart characterization of his character, because he does want to believe. And there are a lot of people out there who want to believe. But there's a difference between wanting to believe and wanting the truth. Those are two different things. That is very different. In like fact, if, one might say they could be opposites. Yeah, I would argue that they get in the way of each other. Yeah, exactly. So we're in Mulder's office, but Mulder isn't there. Instead, we've got Scully right. talking to a new character, Jose Chung, author. Yes. Kind of quirky old man, a little silly, um, yeah. quite likable, charming. Yeah, kind of like a goofy, absent-minded professor type. Yeah. Cranky. Who's writing 
continuously while Scully is narrating, but it is the most unbelievable writing. Like, as in, I don't believe that he is actually writing. I was right. thinking that. As it's he was like writing. when you watch a famous actor pretend to type. Yeah. And you're like, that's, that's not what You're not like. touching any of those. That's not right. So that's how this episode goes. It's people talking to Chung and then right. having flashbacks, right. which is part of the reason why this is a hard episode to describe because so much of it goes, this is this person's perspective and so on. Exactly. You have, that should maybe dwell on that for just a moment, that you have these different perspectives represented and the same events from other people's perspectives are quite different. Yeah. And this is one of your favorite movies, right, Rashomon? Rashomon. And yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. Oh. We'll talk about everything. What an episode. So Chung, this writer, he's not that interested in aliens or UFOs. He wants to make some money. He wants to make some money. He's writing, a, and that's why he's writing a book on alien abductions. Now, this idea that you'd have an author who doesn't believe in UFOs, but is writing about UFOs, we have encountered this a bunch of times. Indeed we have. I mean, the obvious one would be... Gray Barker. Yeah, or Ivan T. Sanderson. Or Contactee Guy. Um... Oh, Adamski, yeah. And we know that they don't believe because we have their correspondence. Yep. We have their testimonials from friends and family who say, no, they didn't really believe any of this, but they knew it was a good way to make money. Yeah. And so this Chung character is, I think, a bit of a reference to the fact that the the history of UFOs, as we've talked about, is filled with these people who don't believe, but they're like, but I believe in the dollar. Sure. So Chung's publisher says that the gimmick of the nonfiction science fiction is going to guarantee the book lands on the bestseller list. And Scully says that she hopes that he tells the truth in the book. And Chung states that that would be impossible. Telling okay. the truth is just not a possible thing. Since everyone he interviewed about a recent alien abduction told a different story and none of the stories lined up. It's a kind of literary cubism yep. where you, you can't look at it from one particular angle. All the angles seem different. It's like a Picasso painting of a face. Hmm. Now, he does say that they all start in exactly the same way, which then all the characters do, which is they say, I know you won't believe me or something to that effect. I, mm -hmm. I know this sounds outrageous. I know this sounds ridiculous, but... but... And so... Having sort of started off with this idea, it's like, okay, just know that the truth is impossible. Chung asks Scully for her version of the truth of the alien abduction. And at this point, the narrative in the episode switches back and forth between Chung interviewing people and then the flashbacks to the stories the people are telling. Yeah. And that's, again, where we get this idea of the, of the Rashomon. Right. The Rashomon is a brilliant short story written by Akutagawa, one of my favorite Japanese authors. Okay. Although. I mean, you could argue that it. it let's more, not. Let's not. It, it let's more not argue. The let's, movie, let's the Kurosawa right movie, this. is more based, I would say, on Aragawa's In the Grove than Rashomon. Anyway, but the idea of the Rashomon very quickly is, the, is what? Well, it's the same story told from a number of different perspectives. Yeah, in fact, different perspectives that that don't work together. No, they can't cohere. Yeah. Now hold on. Who is the director? Because if anybody wants to look up the film, that would be more Kurosawa. helpful. Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. And so now Scully starts telling her story, and we flashback. The agents were called in on a missing persons case, which is sort of a classic X-Files opening thing. Right. Chrissy, at this point, had been found, and she had no memory of what had happened to her, but she had physical signs of abuse. Right. After her statement was taken, she was sent home, and that night she wakes up with a nosebleed in her bed, and she thinks she sees a gray at the foot of her bed. Mm-hmm. What does that remind you of? Uh, sleep paralysis. Yeah, which, how important but is sleep also, paralysis to 
to the UFO phenomenon in general, would you say? Well, I think it it's so this is this was my struggle in trying to answer your question. Is it sleep paralysis or is it the classic abduction story? Because this classic abduction story really maps on very nicely with sleep paralysis, which is I was in my bed. Suddenly I wake up. I can't move. There's maybe a pressure on my chest or I, I feel like I'm being, you know, like kind of forcibly Attacked. dragged out. There's yeah. a presence in the room. There might be a light. Sometimes you see like a shadowy figure that turns into some kind of a horrifying creature. Exactly. Have you, I forget, have you had sleep paralysis? I have not had sleep paralysis, but I love talking about the classic alien abduction story in class and then asking that question. And you hear the gasps. Yeah. Like students who have had it, and there's always some, there's always, I'd say about five, maybe 10% in the room who've experienced this. Yeah. And it must be pretty awful. Have you experienced it? I have. You've got to try it. It's amazing. Yeah. How do you do it? I, I don't know. Uh, I, I guess you can't try to do it, but it is the most frightened I've ever been. Really? Yeah. No, it was life or death. Wow. Like, I was fighting for my life. I couldn't move. I was being attacked. And then it's gone immediately. And the room returns to normal. And so you woke up after that as opposed to falling back asleep. Yeah, I came too. And I didn't know about sleep paralysis. <laughs> And this is also very common for people. They don't know about sleep paralysis. Right. And, and sometimes you'll even encounter a student who's had this happen to them, but didn't know what it was. Oh, wow. I've had students start to cry. Well, that probably solves a lot of problems right there. Having right. students cry? No, no. No. Having Explaining to somebody who didn't know what that experience was, oh, this is a common experience that, look, a lot of other people in class have had. Have you ever been sleeping with somebody who had sleep paralysis? No. I have. You just poke them and you say, hey. Sleep paralysis. Oh, really? Fine. Yep. So she realizes that this alien that she saw is just a stuffed animal. And then she hears a noise out of her window and she thinks again she sees a gray on her lawn. Yeah. But it's just Harold. Right. And he yells up and asks if she remembers what happened. And then she's angry because, again, at this point, she thinks that he did something to her. Yeah. And she's making noise. The father comes out, chases Harold away. He doesn't actually come out, I don't think. No, they don't show it. Oh, 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 so that's how this goes. Now. Yeah, this, they see? don't show it. But this is but this is the story that they're telling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he gets arrested. Right. He gets arrested. Harold gets arrested and interrogated by the police. And he claims that they were both abducted by aliens and the cops don't believe him. Right. Goes back to Scully talking to Chung. And she says, although Harold took a lie detector test and passed it. Mm-hmm. Lie detector tests are trash. Total trash. Yeah. Like, lie detector tests, there's a reason they are not usable in court. And I'm glad they're not usable in court. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people who might be guilty would be able to pass them. Yeah. I think even more worrying, people who were innocent might fail them. Yeah. Should we give the trick to how to pass a lie detector test? Do it. Uh, you clench your sphincter. Huh. I mean, that's the solution to so many of life's problems. Yes, but especially lie detector tests. Yeah. Because, of course, they're just tracking minor differences in terms of your, uh, your physiological reactions. Exactly. To so if the idea being that if you're totally relaxed and then you tell a lie, there's going to be a minor physiological difference. Yeah, elevated heart rate or breathing or something. But you can mimic that by just not being quite as relaxed as you were. A pin in the shoe also works, like a little tack or something, which you just sort of But step requires down more on. planning. It does require more planning. Now, at this point in the flashback, Mulder finally shows up. He's interviewing Harold, 
who at this point has changed his story and no longer claims to have been abducted. He seems a little beaten down at this point. You know, he's like, yeah. well, okay, yeah, I don't believe in myself. Well, he's, I mean, he's been interrogated by the cops for a long time. Yep. And people do change their stories, of course. Sure. And sometimes those stories don't become more accurate. Interestingly, Mulder doesn't believe him. Right. When Harold says, no, I wasn't kidnapped by aliens, Mulder is like, no, I don't believe you. I think you were kidnapped by aliens. Will you take a lie detector test to prove that you weren't? Yeah. And then Mulder interviews Chrissy and asks her about trouble sleeping, muscle pains, nosebleeds, flashbacks, which she has been having. And Mulder thinks that what she has is post-abduction syndrome. Yes. Had you heard of post-abduction syndrome? No. Either did I, but it's it's like really quite present in the alien abduction literature. Is it? It's a term that has been used by UFO researchers for years. Uh, John Keel, the Mothman guy, has talked about it. Whitley Stryber. Okay. Uh, he's talked about it. And I actually, I read a case study of a woman with post-abduction syndrome. Okay. And so the idea being that this is, these are psychological ramifications of having been abducted. Yeah. That's the UFO, sort of the ufologists, that's their perspective. That's their perspective. Uh, other explanations for these symptoms, which are real. Mm -hmm. uh, disassociative disorder, hypoparathyroidism, which causes brain calcification, temporal lobe liability, Munchausen syndrome. Like there are mainstream explanations for mm -hmm. these same things. And it was it was quite a tragic case study I was reading because this woman in it had undergone a lot of trauma, a lot of abuse, and she started to believe that she had been kidnapped by aliens. People came forward and supported that belief. Mm -hmm. The argument that the psychologist was making was that these things can be triggered by various social, psychological, neurological, physiological, and circumstantial factors. Like yeah. there's, there's non-alien reasons why these things can happen, but that the belief that it was aliens can be encouraged deliberately or even accidentally by therapists or support groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we've seen that. Chrissy agrees to undergo hypnosis, although Scully says she's skeptical of the ability of hypnosis to provide accurate memory. In fact, Scully says the opposite tends to be true. Confabulation. Yeah, I mean, what's your take on hypnosis as a route to the truth? Yeah, no, it's no good. It's yeah. no good, especially because the theory is that it's going to recover repressed, suppressed, forgotten memories. And whether such a thing even really exists, you know, I think is questionable. I'm not a psychologist. But what we do know is that you can implant false memories quite easily through the process of hypnosis, deliberately or accidentally. Yeah, and we've seen all sorts of evidence for that. Yeah. Check out the episode on Betty and Barney Hill, I yep. think, for the full exactly. take on hypnosis. Exactly. Jose Chung, at this point, asks Scully if this was possible. That that didn't MK Ultra didn't the MK Ultra program try to use hypnosis without understanding how hypnosis even worked? Yeah, which is true. Yeah, that is, that is what was going on. The CIA was very interested in hypnosis. Yeah, but didn't quite understand the mechanisms. No, and so hey, why don't we mix it with LSD too? You know? Right. What could go wrong here? What could go wrong? And then we go back to the flashback. Chrissy is being hypnotized, and we see the room from her perspective. This is, again, I think, a clever bit of filmmaking, one of the many in this episode. So we're looking at things from Chrissy's eyes as she's being hypnotized. There's a hypnotist, there's Scully and Mulder, there's her parents, and there's a cop in the background standing around. Mm -hmm. As she falls into a trance, the people in the room turn into greys. They turn into yep. aliens. 
and she sees herself on a strange examination table. She also sees Harold on a table nearby, also hooked up to strange machinery. The head alien tells her through telepathy that what's happening is for the good of her planet. Mm -hmm. But she doesn't think so. She's frightened. She's scared. Now, after the session, Mulder and Scully argue about the meaning of Chrissy's experience. Mulder thinks this is a classic alien abduction scenario. And Scully says this is too classic. It's too classic. Too classic. And I guess that also is in its meta way a reference to what we're doing with this episode is that the X-Files lays the cultural template for a lot of what we understand as the alien mythology. But Scully is there also critiquing what that can then do is it can pre it acts like a template for people who are trying to make sense of weird experiences or who are working up a certain type of experience based on preset beliefs and ex expectations. Yeah. Do you ever do this in class where you ask the students to come up with yeah, you ask, first of all, who here has not been kidnapped by aliens? <laughs> and then you, you take one of those students and you say, okay, so you haven't been kidnapped by aliens, but tell us about the time you were. Right. And that, they always tell basically the exact same story. That's a really that's a really clever idea. And uh, we'll start using that in class. Oh, well, you're welcome. Because this is Scully's point. Yeah. It's that, no, this idea is out there. It's in pop culture. It's Scully's it's point. It's also our point. I mean, that's, that's again, I keep going back to David Grush. This is why I think pausing to do a an episode on a fictional series, which recounts a lot of the story that we've recounted so far, is important because there is this cultural feedback loop. Yeah. And fiction then feeds back into purportedly real narratives, yeah. non-fiction narratives. Stuff happens in movies, which then gets into sort of the, the cultural zeitgeist. And then people tell those stories in a way that makes it seem that they're real. And yep. then pop culture picks up on those stories exactly. and makes movies about them. I mean, you even see it sort of with the evolution of technology, how yeah. cell phones really look a lot like and do a lot of the things that the tricorders did of the Star Trek The Next Generation. Well, a lot of the people working on that kind of tech were kids in the 90s. Yeah, and you they know, were inspired and, by. And they're inspired by this, and they thought it was super cool, and wouldn't it be cool if, and then, you know, 30 years later. And now it's not always exactly that direct, that kind of feedback loop. No, but, but you can see how a futuristic vision of the world inspires the real world. Yeah, although then I also interview people who argue, no, what that means is everything in movies is real. Right. <laughs> Then we cut to another flashback, only this time it's from Harold's perspective, as he's being interviewed by Mulder and Scully. He's not being hypnotized, he just remembers this. He's in a cage in a strange room, and Chrissy is unconscious beside him. A gray, an alien, is also sitting in a nearby cage, weirdly smoking a cigarette, rocking back and forth, and saying in English, this is not happening. Right. Which is a strange scene. You don't expect I, that from your grays. I think at this point, as a longtime X-Files fan you're cued to the fact that this is a different episode. Yeah. Because it's breaking the rules here. Yeah. Like, the greys don't act like humans. Yeah, they don't smoke they, cigarettes. They don't smoke cigarettes. Mm -hmm. That would be an Adamski version of, a, of an alien. Right, and they'd meet at a diner. But yeah. they wouldn't look like a grey. They, they would wouldn't look like, look like a grey, but like a if they person. did, right. you know, it would be smoking a cigarette, speaking in English. And saying, hey, pal, yeah. want to go for a ride? <laughs> so Chrissy, in this flashback, Chrissy and then Harold get taken up in the air, out of the cage, in a beam of light. Right after, Harold says, I'll always protect you. And then she immediately gets sucked right. up in the beam of light. And he's cowering in the corner. Yeah, exactly. 
Now, the next thing Harold remembers, he was back on Earth. And he claimed then he ran to Chrissy's house to see if she was okay. And then that sort of catches us up. Now, Scully thinks that the whole thing is caused by sexual trauma. Yes. That all of this. So there has, and this has already been mentioned. Mm -hmm. There is, when you say that earlier, you say something has happened to Chrissy. The the theory here is that she's been raped. Yeah, by Harold. By Harold. Mm -hmm. And that this whole, as you're saying now, that this sort of fantasy after the fact is post-sexual trauma kind of PTSD, I guess. Yeah. But then, in a bit of a twist, it turns out that a witness saw the abduction. Right. And so they interview him. And again, this is all still happening in flashbacks. And guess who it is? It's the guy in the cherry basket. Yeah. The witness is named Roki Krikenson. Roki Erickson was in a band called the 13th Floor Elevators. This is way too niche for me. Well, who are these? The 13th Floor Elevators, they were kind of like a late 60s jam psychedelic band. Uh, kind of like a cross between some garage and some psychedelic. Okay. Now, Roki Erickson did a lot of LSD and a lot of peyote. Okay. And he pled insanity to get out of a drug possession charge. Uh-huh. But unfortunately, that meant that he was then sentenced to three years of electroshock therapy. Oh, no. And then was later diagnosed with schizophrenia. Mm. So that's an odd reference to make, but it's one of many. Like, so many of the characters in this episode are references to somebody. And, I mean, Roki Krikenson, Roki Erickson, that's got to be a deliberate reference to okay. this guy, which is a pretty sad story. <laughs> now, Krikenson, the cherry picker guy, he claims he saw the entire abduction and he wrote the whole encounter down, weirdly, in movie script form. Yes. So... Then he tells the story, and so now we're getting a flashback in a flashback, so we're getting incepted here. After he writes out the, the whole thing in movie script form, he is visited by who? This has got to be my favorite part of the episode. Now we get the men in black. The men in black show up. Who is, it's cameoed by Jesse Ventura, the former wrestler turned politician, also hardcore conspiracy theorist in his own right. And Alex Trebek. Just uh, randomly. For just no- randomly, Alex Trebek shows up in an X-Files episode, which is kind of cool. The men in black are a hilarious stereotype of the men in black. I mean, even the way they drive into the garage. So he's in his garage. What's his name? Erickson? Uh, Krikenson. Krikenson is in his garage. He's He's furiously writing everything that he remembers, I think, in like some 48-hour jack kerouac kind of writing frenzy and while he's doing that the garage door opens this very 1950s you know huge kind of cadillac black cadillac with fins car zooms in the window rolls down and jesse ventura who is one of the men in black is sort of shouting at him that he hasn't seen anything and he's not going to talk about it at all in fact, well, he says he did see something, but what he actually saw was... Venus! So this is, of course, a familiar thing to anybody who studied the history of the American government and UFOs. Right. It was the go-to explanation for anything weird, especially if you saw tech you shouldn't have seen. Yeah. And often they, and by they, I mean the Air Force or the U.S. government, would know that it wasn't Venus. Yeah, because Venus wasn't in the sky. Yeah. And they would lie. Like it was the middle of the day. Yeah. Like with Captain Mantell. Yeah, exactly. 
I love how the men in black then exit the garage, which is basically they just played the tape backwards. They just reversed they, the film. Yeah, they so just the, reversed so, the film. So it looks weird. It looks strange. It looks like dreamlike. Yeah. Yeah. It's, again, best episode ever. Not really. But but I'll give you that. I'll give you the men in black part was, was quite witty. It all was. Crikinson's script matches the scene that we saw at the beginning of the episode. Right. Like he's telling the story of the car gets stopped, two aliens get out, another spaceship comes by, a third alien gets out, scares the first two aliens. But then Crikinson says that that stop motion monster approaches him, tells him in like old timey, like Renaissance fair English. Yeah, I thought it was almost biblical. Yeah, like King James Bible. Like thou shalt and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. And so that's Lord Kimbo, that monster, apparently. Yeah. And he takes Crikinson to the center of the Earth, the Earth core in the saucer, and was told that his efforts are needed for the survival of all Earthlings. Basically, this is the contactee story. Well, I was even going to go a little further back, and I was wondering if this isn't part of the Shaver mysteries. Well, we have the center of the Earth, yeah. which is definitely very Shaver. Yeah. But this idea that I've got a message for you to save humanity. Right. That's very Adamski. So maybe it's Williamson. maybe it's Ray Palmer. Maybe this is a kind of like amazing stories mashup. Yeah, exactly. It's like the nineteen fifties kind of screwball UFO stuff. Right. Aliens in the center of the earth. They're coming, coming out. They look like stop there. motion monsters, kind of like some monster pizza. Yeah, exactly. Back in Mulder's office. So not in a flashback now, back in Mulder's office, Scully says to Chung that Crikinson was clearly prone to confabulation and delusion. Yeah. Then we cut back to the flashback again. Mulder has arranged to have Chrissy hypnotized again, and the room set up is similar to the previous time. This time, rather than trancing herself into a room full of aliens, everyone transforms into what? These are military, especially Air Force officers. Yeah, exactly the same scene as before. Everyone's standing around in the same way. Before they turn into aliens, this time she gets hypnotized and they all turn into Air Force officers. Yeah. The men in the background are asking her if the third alien that she's seen had a Russian accent. Right. And discussing whether what happened was in the Russians' capabilities. Yeah. So now we're getting a reference to the fact that most of the Air Force in the early 50s and the late 40s didn't think UFOs were extraterrestrial. That's right. They thought they were... They were Russians. Yeah. They were Soviets. Exactly. Some kind of Soviet tech. Yeah. And so we had Project Silverbug in the early 50s where the American government's like, there's a saucer gap. Right. We've got to build a saucer because clearly the Soviets have a saucer. And we also have Annie Jacobson in her history of Area 51 Makes Great the book. argument that I completely disagree with. Oh, yeah. Last chapter. Last chapter is weird. Otherwise, great book. That Roswell was actually Stalin building a flying saucer, filling it with mutated humans and yeah. crashing it deliberately. Yeah. Like, like me. think think saucers hanging off of balloons yeah. that are then sort of like dropped on Roswell. That makes no sense. It doesn't make any doesn't sense. Make any sense but don't. But the rest of the book is good. The rest of the book is a straight-up history of Area 51. I agree. And she, even in the book, says, no, this last chapter, I'm going to go a bit yeah. off. And she does. She certainly does. Then these Air Force officers who are interrogating Chrissy in her, in her hypnotized trance, they say, give her the usual abduction rigmarole. Right. 
a reference to the idea that, wait a second, maybe it isn't aliens that are kidnapping people. Maybe this is some other force that is using the alien abduction as cover yeah. for their own sinister purposes. That right. this has nothing to do with aliens and everything to do with humans. Right. And this is the pivot that we saw last time we recorded when we were talking about William Cooper. And he makes that pivot even in his book about putatively about aliens. And he says, well, 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 wait a minute. Maybe this is actually all the deep state. And the whole alien thing is just a cover for hiding stuff, keeping the real power brokers a secret. And now what happens is the Air Force hypnotize her. So this is this is what's coming out in her hypnosis now. We're getting, she we're getting has Inception again. Hypnotized before to believe that she had been abducted. And this is this then makes sense of say that Gray, who is like smoking a cigarette, turns out that's actually just an air force officer yeah but because she's she's remembering it through hypnosis what she's actually remembering is the thing that she is supposed to remember that the air force has in a sense implanted in her what a mess what a mess much like the real ufo story what a mess in a couple of weeks we're putting out an episode on heaven's gate oh okay. and so to prepare for that one i've been reading a lot of a ufo theorist named jacques valet French guy. Yep. The reason I'm reading him for this research on, on Heaven's, Heaven's Gate, Gate is that Valet is very interested in alien abductions. Okay. Does not think that they are aliens. Okay. Is extremely concerned that they could be a way of manipulating people. Yeah. So it could be some kind of psychological manipulation by governments, by cults. Okay. And so... This is a reference to that, and I know it's specifically a reference to Jacques Vallée's work because it's something that's going to come up in a bit. Okay. Also, Vallée uh, consulted for Stargate in the 1970s. Nice. A little flashback there to our first episode. So Scully now, because we have two completely different stories coming from hypnosis, Scully's like, see, this is why hypnosis doesn't work. Right. Increased confabulation, whereas Mulder's like, no, now I think this whole thing might be a government psyop. Mm -hmm. So Mulder is basically pulling a William Cooper at yeah. this point in the episode. Their discussion is interrupted by the cop, who says that now someone has found an alien body. Mm -hmm. The plot thickens. Oh, this is, I mean, this is really on the nose here. Like, this is, this episode airs when? Oh, uh, it would have been 1996. Okay, and it's making direct reference to the alien autopsy that aired in 1995. And I remember that autopsy airing, and it was... On Fox, the on, same channel right, shows the X-Files. Exactly, and the whole it was like this build-up, and it was secret tape, and it had been leaked, and maybe it shows an actual alien autopsy. And so... What you then see in the alien autopsy on the X-Files is essentially almost like a recreation of the alien autopsy that Fox had aired a year earlier. Yeah, it looks... Well, I mean, here's how it happens. So at this point in the story, we shift perspectives. Chung isn't interviewing Scully anymore. Now he's interviewing this guy, Blaine Faulkner, a UFO enthusiast who wants, who wants to get kidnapped by aliens. Right which is something that I encounter a lot, especially because of the work I've been doing recently on UFO cults. It's amazing how often in an interview somebody will say, I want to get kidnapped by aliens so bad. Yeah. Because as we'll talk about in our next episode, it is lonely out here. Yeah. 
And he basically says that he's like, I don't, you know, I, he's 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 one of I mean, he's a very stereotypical character. This yep. guy who uh, wants to get abducted. Uh, he's what Dungeons uh, late, and Dragons fan. He is a which is self-confessed Dungeons and Dragons fan. He is, I'm guessing, early 20s. Yeah. Hard maybe to tell. late teens, early yep. 20s. He's kind of socially awkward, lonely, doesn't want to have a job. But smart. Yeah, smart. So he wants to get kidnapped by aliens. And so he's out wandering around trying to be kidnapped by aliens. And he stumbles across an alien body. Now, he calls the authorities and he says, I made a big mistake. I shouldn't have called the authorities. Because then he gets approached by two men in black. Yeah. But Mulder time, and Scully. Right. What we see as he's telling the story is that actually it's Mulder and Scully yeah, who yeah, he yeah. thinks are the men in black. When John Keel went to Point Pleasant to investigate the Mothman sightings, he kept hearing rumors that there was some weird stranger in town asking a bunch of questions. Okay. And so Keel started to try to track down that stranger who was asking all the questions, mm. thinking, this is a man in black. Mm -hmm. Like, the Mothman situation is strange. It's got something weird going on, something sketchy. The men in black are here. So Keel's chasing this man in black around Point Pleasant and then eventually realizes, wait a second. This weird stranger that they're describing is me. Oh, no. He was the man in black. That's brilliant. Because eventually he gets directed back to, like, one of the first people. And they're like, you, you, that was you. <laughs> ah, nuts. I was chasing myself. He was the stranger that he kept hearing about. Now, in his memory, man in black Scully threatens him with death if he doesn't keep quiet. Yeah. Which seems out of character for Scully. Yeah. So I think we can say that this is not an accurate representation. This is not a good, accurate narrator. Scully, of course, has a very different version of events. We cut back to Chung interviewing her. And she says, no, we didn't threaten him. We even allowed him to view the autopsy of the alien body, yeah. which he recorded on a camcorder, which, of course, is a reference, as you said, to the alien autopsy video that came out and was broadcast on Fox. And Blaine's shaky footage eventually ends up shown on some cheesy show but Scully maintains that it's edited in a way that ignores the actual findings. Now, the actual findings are, when they cut open that alien, what do they find underneath? A zipper. And what's underneath the zipper? It's a man wearing an alien costume. Yeah. It's a good one, but it's an alien costume. Yeah, it's just some human. It's a dead human. Yep. Now, that alien body was actually a costume, and it was being worn by a human pilot, Major Valet. Oh, okay. Reference to Jacques, Jacques Valet, of Valet. course. An Air Force officer named Heineck shows up to collect the body. So many references. So many references. Okay, so why Heineck? Heineck is the astronomer who is on Project Blue Book, and he is paired with actually all the all the leads on Project Blue Book, and he's the guy who does a bunch of the calculations, say, with Mantel to say that Venus was in fact not in the sky. And he's the scientist to come up with rational explanations for some of the things that people claim that they might have seen. He, though, later becomes a believer he himself does. and writes a book. He starts out like a hardcore skeptic. Yeah. Thinking, and, okay, we'll dismiss all this UFO nonsense. Yeah. But after being in Blue Book for a long time, he becomes convinced, well, no, the government is definitely covering something up. Yeah, There's exactly. all of these sightings that are reliable yeah. and don't make any sense. Right. Heineck is also the guy who started the whole swamp gas meme. Right, right, right. 1966, Michigan, there was dozens of people, including police officers, who reported seeing weird lights and a flying saucer. Yeah. They sent Heineck in, 
And he concluded that it was a combination of some normal astronomical phenomena and some pranks and swamp gas. Yeah. Which made the UFO community furious with him. Right. Although I think to give him his due, he was probably right in that one instance. But yeah. it starts to take on the caliber of it's Venus. Yeah. You know, it's, it's oh, it's swamp gas. Yeah. Oh, you... you, you it's like as soon as you hear it, you think, here comes the snow job. Exactly. Here comes the cover-up. Exactly. So this Air Force officer, Hynek, shows up to collect the body, and Mulder, being sneaky, tricks him into revealing that there is another Air Force pilot who is working with Ballet. And this pilot's name is Schaefer. Which is almost certainly a reference to Robert Schaefer, UFO skeptic and author. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the men in black, the real ones, not Mulder and Scully, they show up at Blaine's house and they take his recording of the autopsy. And also, Jesse the Body Ventura power slams him. Or like, yeah, I don't know what that move is called know. where you lift somebody over your head and then drop him on your knee, which right. knocks him out weirdly. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and again, it's, this is all, if it feels like things are spiraling out of control in this description, it's because <laughs> this episode is spiraling out of control. This is also where you find out that the other men in black was actually Alex Trebek. Yeah. But the explanation is that anytime you encounter the men in black, they're going to behave in a weird and ridiculous way. To make it implausible to believe your story. Exactly. So you explain truthfully what's happened, and any of your listeners who haven't had a similar kind of experience will consider you a crank. Yeah. Now we cut to Scully and Mulder, and they're driving around in the forest where the original abduction allegedly took place. And they encounter a naked man stumbling around. And this is Schaefer. This is the other Air Force pilot. Mulder interviews Schaefer in a diner. And Schaefer explains that the whole thing was supposed to be a PSYOP and that the Air Force has American-made flying saucers. But Schaefer says that he thinks that he, the other pilot, and the two teens actually then got kidnapped by aliens as they were doing this fake alien PSYOP. A real alien came by. But Schaefer says... He can't be sure of anything any longer. Right. Because of these Air Force hypnotism campaigns where they implant you with false memories. So who knows what's real? Yeah. And again, we go back to this idea that's all over this episode. Is what, that, is, what is truth? What There's is no truth. truth. There is no truth. There's just a bunch of stories. Then Chung interrupts Scully's telling the story, which again doesn't make sense. So Scully is telling a story of something that Mulder told to her. Right. It's, it's Inception. So we cut back and Chung says, wait a second. The story you just told about Mulder meeting this guy in the diner. Chunk says, I went to that diner all of the time. And I became friends with the with the with the cook there. With the cook. And I asked the cook about this, and the cook said that Mulder came into the diner by himself that night, ate an entire pie. Yeah, slice by slice. slice, kept, by slice. kept ordering a slice of pie and then asked one question, finished the that slice, ordered another one. That's and all the questions are like you know, do you have any alien implants? And have you ever been abducted? Yeah. Oh, it's such a good episode. And then Scully tells Chung that when Mulder got back to the motel where the agents were staying, Scully was apparently already there, but in a kind of trance with the men in black. Yeah. With Trebek and Jesse the Body Ventura. What Jesse says to Mulder then is, Some alien encounters are hoaxes perpetrated by your government to manipulate the public. Some of these hoaxes are intentionally revealed to manipulate the truth-seekers who become discredited if they expose the deliberately absurd deception. 
This goes back to one of the earliest stories we ever told on this episode. Hmm. Gorilla Plane. Oh, wow. I was thinking Doty. Yeah, Doty for sure. But he, go back even further. Gorilla Plane. Right. Okay. Very quickly, for people who haven't listened to every episode we've ever done, Gorilla Plane. Okay. Now, is it the XP-51? No, the XP-59. 59. Okay. It's an exper- because it's an X, it's an experimental plane. Yes. And the United States wants to, it's a jet plane. It's one of the first of its kind. And the Air Force wants to try it out. Or is there an Air Force yet? Whatever. The government wants well, to try it out. Well, the Air Force Division of the Army. Right. Okay. They want to try it out. And it's gotten to the point where you can't test it in a hangar anymore. You really got to take it out there. But we're worried about pilots seeing it and blabbing about it. So what better way to hide it than to bring it out right into the open and make it just ridiculous so that anybody who wanted to talk about it is going to self-censor because there's no way they're going to... I don't want to tell people that I saw a gorilla flying a plane with no so propeller. That was it. So the pilot apparently comes up with the idea of wearing a gorilla mask smoking a big cigar. And should he encounter any other pilot in the air while he's flying about, he would go very close, sort of wave at them. So what they see is the fastest plane they've ever seen without a propeller being piloted by a gorilla smoking a cigar. At that point, you get grounded as soon as you tell that story. Right, exactly. Because now it's now you're a liability. <laughs> now, Scully admits to Chang she didn't remember anything that happened that night. And then we go back to the flashback. The next morning, Scully and Mulder wake up in the motel and get a call saying that the UFO has been found. It turns out to be a crashed experimental plane, and the bodies of pilots Valet and Schaefer are found in the wreckage. Mm-hmm. Scully apologizes to Chung about the lack of closure in this case, because she's like, what do we do with any of that? Yeah. Later, Chung is working in his own office, and he gets visited by Mulder, who up until this point has refused to talk to him. Right. Because he's worried he's going to make things look ridiculous. Right. Well, because he's a non-believer who's in it for the money. Yeah. And Mulder is a believer who's in it for the truth. Except as we said at the beginning, it's not the truth that he wants. He no. wants to believe. Well, he wants his truth. Right, which is different than wanting the truth. Right. So Mulder asks Chung, don't write this book. It's all going to seem absurd and ridiculous. And Chung asks Mulder, okay, well, you tell me. What happened to those two kids? And Mulder says, how the hell should I know? Right. How the hell should I know? Which could have been the title of this episode. Right. This the finest X-Files episode ever filmed. Yeah, no, I disagree. But an interesting one to sort of summarize the history of it because of all the Easter eggs that are in it. Yeah. And as a standalone episode, it is a fun one to watch. I think in reading about it, I encountered... Who is Dana Scully? Who is the actor who plays her? Gillian Anderson. Gillian Anderson said, this is what makes this show fun. Like this, she said, this is what keeps us interested in doing it. But I disagree. And do I get to disagree now? Is this the, is this the Lee rant, the five minutes at the end of the show where I get to, or do you, do you still want to say more about this episode? I will say this about this episode. Before I tell you why it's not the best. Before you go on your, which we might even actually put after the end music. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just going to edit it out. Thank you. All the brilliant things I have said that I've not actually made it onto the uncover up. Right. Well, the paranoia is really <laughs> kicking into that. There is no other episode of anything that I've ever seen that captures the essence 
of what it feels like to try to study UFOs and the UFO phenomenon than this episode. Yeah, that's fair. Like, I'm doing a radio show in like an hour and a half. Yeah. And they're going to be asking me about the UFO phenomenon. Yeah. And are you just gonna are you just gonna send them to this episode? Yeah, that's right. I'm gonna say everybody go watch Jose Chung's from Outer Space. <laughs> the confusion, the contradictions, yeah. the the lies, the cover ups, the manipulations, yeah. the scams. This is what it's like. It is true. Yeah. And all the different actors involved, and some people in it for the money, some people in it for the truth, some people very motivated reasoners. Yeah. Everybody is coming at it from a different perspective with different experiences, and it ends up being a mess, yeah. which is what we have said every time over the last year that we've looked at the UFO phenomenon. If you're playing the uncover-up drinking game, right. and you're, you're drinking you're, every time someone... Your liver like, is also in big trouble. <laughs> right. Every time one of us says, what a mess. <laughs> or disinformation. Or scammer. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or good, honest people. Yes. Okay, well. And now, so now. So now, the part that hit doesn't. Hit the theme music. <laughs> I don't even know exactly how to approach it. When I, so Nathan and I both were fans of the X-Files. I was really taken by it. So it it was one of those shows that for me hit at the right time in my life where I was becoming politically aware, but also super skeptical of the kinds of messages I was hearing. There was that sense, I think, that a lot of people who get interested in conspiracies have that things aren't adding up. Things don't really make sense in the mainstream narrative. A very fair thing to think. And I was getting into thinkers who were saying this in a very non-conspiratorial way on the political level, Noam Chomsky, people like that. And I'm like, yeah, this is there's a totally different way of looking at American history, at Western imperialism, all those kinds of things. And so the X-Files at this moment in the early 90s, I was like, yes, this is this is doing it. But as we said at the beginning, there were two types of shows in the X-Files, in the in the overarching TV series, there was the standalone episodes, which often were a bit goofy. They weren't all goofy. Some of them had a bit of a horror edge, but they were often like this. They were a bit tongue in cheek. And then there was... But you didn't need to see them all to make sense of the whole show. Exactly. And you didn't need to know the whole show to watch one of those episodes. It's exactly. Just, here's a couple FBI agents chasing Sasquatch. Exactly. But I remember at that time feeling like this is not the real X-Files. The real X-Files are the other shows that are all building towards a larger narrative. Which the is explanation episodes. The exp which is, and it's all, there's always government cover-up of UFO and alien phenomenon. They know it's dangerous. There's going to maybe, and, and We Mulder, deserve to know and they're keeping it from us. Exactly. And Mulder is that kind of hero who's going to find out. In terms of understanding its cultural impact. I think this episode that we have just, Jose Chung from Outer Space, that you've just narrated, is really helpful because it is really chock-a-block full of references of the whole history of UFOs. But we want to look forward in terms of how is the alien lore understood in the 2000s, in the 2010s. And and now, at, again, I come back to David Grush's testimony at the UAP hearings. You want to look at the main trajectory 
of the X-Files. And it has a very different flavor. And I was a bit shocked. So I went for a different episode. Um, it's season nine, episodes 19 and 20. Now, X-Files comes back in a form of a reboot for seasons 10 and 11. But season nine was basically supposed to be the end of the show. And so the, and, and episodes 19 and 20 are the end. And they finally, they finally reveal the truth. And that's what the episodes are called. The truth. In these episodes, you get a lot of William Cooper's fantasy about what, about, you know, the, the shadow government, underground bases, human experimentation, human experimentation, black helicopters, what, vaccine programs are really for that whole thing is summarized in these two episodes and i think this is interesting because it really points in a different direction it points in how the ufo lore then as we talked earlier with this feedback loop feeds back into culture that's not fictional you know it it feeds into as a template like scully was worried about in the episode what's really going on and it's summarized there there is a secret government they know about the aliens they are in contact they are colluding with the aliens for their own benefit so basically they're selling out all of humanity this small cabal of elites the mj12 and their hangers-on are selling out the rest of humanity by kind of getting a deal for themselves that's going to save them when the alien invasion happens in 2012. And you have, you know, nod to the Mayan calendar and uh, the, uh, this, so these episodes get aired in 2003. That's when the, that's when the show comes to an end the first time. So 2012 is still one of these things that's, that's to come it's way off in the distance. It's way off in the distance. And it really brings, you have black helicopters, you have super soldiers, you have underground bases, you have fake vaccine programs, you have a human experimentation, you have secret shadow governments. There is, just like William Cooper said in our last episode, there is a shadow government waiting at Mount Weather to take over when the aliens come. Like it's all prepared and set up. That's what that episode really summarizes. And I think in terms of it's cultural impact, like the X-Files as the, as setting the tone and providing a template for what is going on with the government and with aliens and all of that. And again, I come, I keep coming back to David Grush's testimony because essentially you watch that episode and you're like, well, 20 years later, there's a guy who is claiming that this is reality, that the X-Files essentially, you know, was was essentially telling the truth about what was going on. It was a version of soft disclosure. It has a very different feel from the episode that you were narrating, Nathan. It was it's much more melodramatic melodramatic. There's a lot of tears and and long silences and and pregnant pauses with people looking at each other and it all takes place as Mulder gets caught in in breaking into one of these underground bases and discovering the truth, and then he is being tried for murder. But this, everybody knows on both sides of the the prosecution and defense all know that this is just a way to get rid of him, a convenient way. But the truth will be revealed, and you know the, the proselytizing. 
So it's a very different episode. It's a very different feel. It's in fact, two episodes, very different feel. And I think it's a counterbalance to the one that you brought up because it really talks about what what we then come to understand as what the United States government, the secret governments, and the UFO situation really is. 